I never thought I'd say this because um, it killed me. But really, the best thing that happened to Ryan was going to prison. Welcome to your mom. Your mom podcast. Your mom's podcast. This isn't any podcast. This is your mother's podcast. My mom's podcast. Nah, dude, she's your mom. With Ashley Allison and Lisa McCaffrey. Your mom is a podcast. Shut up, dude. Welcome back to your mom. We are thrilled to be here with you sitting here in mid-August. Lisa's anxiety level is off the charts. <laughs> is waxing. <laughs> not waning, it is waxing. Like, not waning, it is waxing, close to full. <laughs> we are getting close to kickoff of the season, and I'm. Uh, we got a lot going on. I just, I got to say, too, before we dive in, and we've got an amazing guest today, um, but it's been so fun to hear from everybody. The reaction to the podcast over the last, I don't know, I guess we've been doing this thing for about a month now. Um, it's been really rewarding. Lisa, have you, have, have any of your kids listened to it? No, no one said anything to me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. no we have had the best response. Thank you. First off, thank everybody for listening. Um, thank you. It's uh, amazing. And the response has been overwhelming. Never knew that people, that many people listen to podcasts, let alone one about your mom. So thank you. It makes us feel like we're doing something right. It is. It is. And I, I will also say it's just been, and, and we said this when we launched the podcast initially, that the goal was even if no one ever listened to it besides, you know, our, our kids and our parents and the people that who love us who have to listen to it, is the room for conversations that it creates. And today and this episode is is a perfect example of that. So most people who follow the NFL know the name Ryan Leaf. Today we're going to talk to his mom, Marsha. Um, and Ryan's story, you know, is, is well documented, I think, for people, again, who, who follow sports. For those who don't know him, he's been called the greatest draft bust in history. That's his moniker. Uh, he's a kid from a small town, though. Great Falls, Montana. Incredible talent. He went to Washington State, played football there. He took the Cougs to their first Rose Bowl since 1931. He was drafted number two overall by the Chargers in 98 behind Peyton Manning. What were you doing in 98, Lisa? Oh, my gosh. Um, let's see. I was probably knocked up with another kid at some point in there. And um, I, could throw out any, I could throw out any date, and that's probably the case. But. If Ed was playing in the NFL, I was probably knocked up. And I was on my way to a game with lugging snacks and bottles and diapers. And that's probably – no, 1998 was a Super Bowl year for the Broncos. So my head was um, uh, all about Denver and all about the Broncos at the time. So – I was, I'd follow the draft just to make sure that the uh, Broncos weren't drafting another wide receiver to replace Ed. But short of that, I wasn't, a, I wasn't following it super closely. <laughs> okay. That's, I mean, that's. But of course I knew who totally Ryan Lee was. Um, and I knew, you know, oh my gosh, that he was a wonder, great quarterback, just a great quarterback. So that's what I knew about him at the time. Yeah. And it, and I think that was the thing that for people who were aware of him coming, coming up through Washington state and, and getting drafted he looked like, you know, it was just this promising career and life in front of him. And it all sort of fell apart. Injuries, um, public spats with the media and his teammates. He battled drug addiction and ended up at the lowest point um, in jail for a significant amount of time. He lost everything. And so I would also just recommend if you aren't familiar with his full story, go listen. After you listen to this podcast, go listen to his. It's called Bust, the Ryan Leaf story. 
and it's amazing. It's just Ryan. It's so raw. It's so powerful. It's it so is. raw. Yeah. Really and he, he's yeah. just telling the story from the beginning. It's vulnerable. It's sad. He owns all of it. And one of the lines in there, I, I wrote it down when I was listening. He said, I am not a product of my environment. I was raised by amazing parents. And I think everyone yeah. will agree with that sentiment after listening to this interview. So without further ado, it is your mom with Marsha Leaf. Marsha Leaf, it is great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for saying yes. We appreciate it. I met your son uh, a few years ago. And like with all good young men, it's way better to meet their moms. Uh-huh. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Um, I think a little bit emotional. I haven't gone through our albums and our paraphernalia for so long. And I started pulling it out. And uh, well, there were a few tears. And then a lot of joy. Well, so tell us about, we're going to get into, you know, Ryan's story and, and everything that you guys, sort of the journey that you went through. But first and foremost, Lisa and I want to know about you. Um, so you live in Great Falls, Montana. What's, t- tell me about Great Falls. Well, it is about uh, 40 miles from both my husband and my hometown. And we moved here right after John got out of college. And he has had his work here ever since. So we've been here like 45 years. I grew up on a farm and I went to a one-room schoolhouse for five years. And I was the only little girl. So by the time I was 12, my father decided we should move into our hometown of Fort Benton, Montana. And my whole life changed. There were telephones and girlfriends and activities. And I loved that we moved. I loved that we moved. Growing up in that hometown was really really great. After I graduated from high school, I went to nursing school in Spokane, Washington. I went to Sacred Heart School of Nursing. I thought it would be great to uh, get away and be in a, a larger city. I was very homesick, of course. And my mother, I remember calling her and saying, you know, I don't think I want to stay here. I, I think I want to go back home and go to our um, state college where they had uh, nursing. And mom said, basically, Marcia, I'm raising four other girls and you've made your decision and I don't have time for this. And that was it. I just really understood that I was here for the, for the whole time, which it turned out to be very fulfilling and I wouldn't change it now. So I finished there and then I went, um, John had been in Vietnam, and so when he got back, he went back to college and finished his degree, and we married, and after he was graduated, we moved to Great Falls, Montana. So that's my story. (laughs) I'd love to hear more about your mom, your relationship with her, what she was like, the dynamic, you know, when when she was raising you. Um, What was your mom like? A very strong woman. Um, was raised in a very small town, not not too far from Fort Benton. And she went into nursing as well. So that may have been a, a reason that I, I don't know that. She never pushed it on me at all. But, um, you know, 
She raised five of us and she kept her thumb on us, whether we wanted to or not. She did. Um, did she work after she graduated from nurses training? Um, probably about a year. And she met my father in the hospital. He had been in a car accident and, um, she took care of him and she said he was nothing but a flirt. And most of the girls, <laughs> nursing students, uh, thought the same. <laughs> so, um, that's where dad, where mom and dad met was in the hospital. And Wait, that's kind of she, an amazing story. <laughs> yeah. Like the Florence yeah. Nightingale syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, um, he had several broken bones, but he would actually get on crutches and go out with the nurses, student nurses, and go dancing. And of course, <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know, that must have attracted her to him. He was willing to have a good time. <laughs> no matter what. No matter what. And and how many sisters do you have? You have four I have sisters? four younger sisters. Wow. wow. And then it's so funny because you had you grew up in a family of all girls and then you ended up having all three boys, right? You had three boys. That's right. And you know, frankly, I wanted boy. I I definitely when I was pregnant with Ryan, I wanted a boy. I thought I'd have a girl because it just seemed like that's what would happen. And so when we when the doctor told us it was a boy, I was thrilled. I was just thrilled. What do you remember about that time about finding out that you were going to be a mom, your expectations of motherhood. What, what do you remember about that time in your life? Well, I had been working full time uh, for four years. And so I kind of was like, well, what am I going to do with all my time now? He'll eat and sleep. And then what am I going to do? And we were living in an apartment and um, I don't know where I got that idea. Honestly, I don't, because once he was born and we took him home, life was never the same for me <laughs> or for his dad, because he was um, active from the, the minute he was born. So Jeffrey and Brady, those are the two, Ryan's younger brothers. What do you think, Marcia, it was like for Brady and Jeffrey being Ryan's younger brothers? Well, in... Our community, it wasn't um, as easy for them because Ryan was uh, extremely competitive and he rubbed some people the wrong way. And so there, there was a lot of comparing of Ryan to his brothers. It was hard for the boys it was hard for the boys because there was a lot of comparisons. When it was really difficult was when Jeffrey was a senior. And I think, yeah, and Ryan was, it was in 97 when the um, run for the roses happened. And um, there were a lot of um, ugly things being said at school and in the community. And then my son Brady, who would have been in the eighth grade and was over the moon that his brother was at such a high level, there were a group of friends around Brady that protected him um, from, you know, just yeah. stuff. The comparisons and the vitriol, yeah, I know. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know nice that, don't that you? Yep, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, absolutely, yeah. So, and Jeffrey just didn't have that group, that group as much as Brady then? 
And, and all, well, it's also harder because he was closer in age as well. Yeah. And Jeffrey had, um, well, he just had a different way about him. He, he's very, very sensitive and would not show it, of course, but he is very sensitive. And, um, oh, I think what he did with his stress over this all was he was a clown. I didn't know that, but he was voted um, in the senior most the clown of the class. And I was stunned because I didn't think he was that funny. And, um, he was, he was serious at home, but the kids, everybody, yes, Jeffrey was the clown. So uh, did he have, yeah, he had friends around him, but it wasn't the same. I I can't tell you why, but it just wasn't the same. I'm sure there are so many memories that you have of both, both good and bad, but I'm, I'm curious, just Ryan's decision to go to Washington state. Um, I know, you know, I've read that there were some other schools that wanted him to come, but maybe not play quarterback, but Mike Price, Washington state said, no, you come here and we want you to play quarterback. When he left for college, what do you remember? Were you worried about him? Were you excited for him? Was, what was the emotion around him leaving for Pullman and being pretty far away? Well, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, I thought when he did choose Washington state and he did it all on his own, um, I thought, well, we're just eight hours away from being there if we have to go, for whatever reason, you know. We're just eight hours away. <clears throat> and there were several um, coaches in our living room. And I listened to everyone. Um, I made some mistakes. Ryan will will say that in that... I remember one one coach, Ryan had made a highlight tape or something, and they were watching it. And I said, I always feel so much better when Ryan hands off the ball because I know there wouldn't be any interception. And spoken like a true mom, <laughs> <laughs> and it's safer. And when, yeah. When the coach left, he said, "Mother, don't ever say that again." When they're recruiting you to be a quarterback, you do not say, "I love it when he hands off the ball." So um, there was that. Well, when it's your time to go on the field, then you can hand it off. But I think you're safe. It's okay that you said that. <laughs> yeah, I think exactly. any coach would understand. <laughs> that wasn't that big oh, of a mistake. But, you're fine. But I That's just understandable. You know, for whatever reason, it wasn't Mike Price that um, came out first. It was an assistant coach, and I just liked him immediately. He was from Montana, Butte, Montana. Oh, perfect. And they just seemed to connect and they stayed, um, they stayed on it. He would come and watch him play basketball. And here's an interesting thing. Ryan, Ryan was going from his junior year into his senior year and his coach had suggested maybe he should go to a quarterback camp, which he hadn't got, he had not gone to any camps and the team didn't even go to camps. They do all that now, but not at the time. So, we said, well, yeah, we can do that. So, um, yeah, we drove all the way to California, dropped him off, and we stayed at this hotel, and he was there for three days. And while we had Brady in the pool and were playing, this man was talking to us and, and said, you know, why are you here? And, and I said, well, we, our, our son went to a camp, a um, quarterback camp. And he said, oh, my son's there too. 
And um, through our conversation, he was the athletic director of Washington State. Oh, wow. And wow. so he went, kind of went to the camp and was just watching. And after we got home from the camp, Ryan started getting uh, recruiting letters from Washington State. So I always tell him I played a big part in that uh, <laughs> recruitment letter, which, of course, I didn't. But <laughs> you redeemed yourself uh, for the handoff comment. <laughs> that might be. <laughs> yes. Uh, so Great. tell me about your ju- his. So his junior season, obviously, is the is the season that, you know, um, was was record breaking and everybody still talks about. What do you remember about that year? And, you know, I'm sure it's, and this is for for both of you, it must be wild to sort of know that your child has this special talent, that other people have seen it, you've heard all about, but to see it actually sort of play out on the big stage and even, you know, at the high college level and to see him play the way that he played and all of the games that he won and then, you know, getting him to the Rose Bowl for the first time and how, you know, since 1931, all of those moments. What, what was it like as a mom sitting in the stands to, to watch that unfold? Well, frankly, I was just, he was realizing his dream. And I can remember one game. I don't even know who we were playing, but I was walking down the steps to get in um, to my seat. And I just stopped and looked um, around. The stadium was pretty full. It was a crisp fall day, but we didn't have to wear heavy coats. And I just stood there and said, this is big time college football. I just said, just take it in, just take it in. This is his dream. And of course, I was a very... Um, nervous mom because um, I, I was also <laughs> very protective. And so um, on that level, it really was um, first time Ryan was going to start would be his, um, well, his second year, his first year playing. And Coach Price called us at home, John and I, and he said, John, put Marsha on the, on the phone. And then he said, Okay, here's what I'm going to tell you to do. I want you to go out and get a radio with headphones. And I want you to wear that during the game at Washington. Because there will be lots of things said, negative and positive, but you don't have to hear them. Wow. And when you listen to the radio announcers, they don't do that. They, they call the game but the people around you and blah, blah, blah. So I did that. Brilliant. And said that Coach Price had a real um, understanding of Ryan. And I think us, I really do. He, he was a wonderful, caring man. And so, um, yeah, I did that. Now, did I wear headphones all the time? No, <laughs> I didn't. But it was a good, um, it was a good thing to know that um, somebody understood what a mother feels like, uh, particularly coming from the the coach standpoint. Did you have any of that happen to you? 
No, but I wish I did. Looking back, I really, I still wish I do. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant, especially for a quarterback. That's amazing that he had the insight to do that. And that was probably very relieving. You know, he could always escape to that. I remember going to basketball games um, in high school with my boys and um, another mom, um, her son was a really good player and she used to wear, listen to music, classical music. And I'm like, oh, I wish I could oh. get to the point I could do that. Um, I thought that was great because you hear everything in those basketball gyms. So I just remember, <laughs> I wish I had done that. But that is um, a genius idea. That was nice that he, a pre, you know, saw you guys and, and was knew what could happen and gave you that out. That was actually brilliant. I've never heard of that somebody doing that, but I like that idea a lot. Yeah, it was a very kind gesture. So when he did play his first game. He was he, uh, he was Ryan. He was rather brash, and he he came out um, he came out just so unintimidated by the size, the magnitude of the the game. He sincerely felt that he could do this, and um, he was ready for it. And frankly, I I always thought. He was um, interviewing for for a position. You know what I mean? This could make it or break it for him. And he, this was his big interview. And um, granted, they lost, but they only lost by three. And I remember coming out of the stadium. It was at University of Washington. Coming out of the stadium, and there was just this low... I remember it. It was on a turn coming down. There was this low sound about Ryan. Like, I can't believe he did that. I can't believe, you know, it was just kind of a rumble. And um, I think this Washington State has something to look forward to and blah. It just was like that. Yeah, you felt the, mo- you felt the momentum. You felt it. I did. I did. It was just so amazing. And then shortly after that, they started making buttons at Washington State that said, turning over a new leaf. And the people were wearing them. And um, there was, I remember going to the grocery store with him. You know how it is when you go to college with your boys and then they fill up the cart or maybe two of them. (laughs) And with yep. everything that they've needed since you were there last. And uh, <laughs> I was just pushing along with the cart and he was throwing things in. And I even heard it in the grocery store. It just made me surprised in a way. It just surprised me. But um, yeah, the thing I remember is that his interview went well, but I had my boy on Sunday morning and I was shopping for him and getting him settled. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I felt like it was, just like you said, it was momentum. And um, I just didn't know where we were going with that. It could be big. There's no playbook for that. You don't know. That's, it's so unpredictable. And so it's, you don't know. And that's what's hard about it. How did, how did Ryan handle handle his freshman year when he wasn't playing. I know red shirt's a very normal thing, especially for a quarterback, but just knowing how confident he was um, and how sure of himself he was, which you need to need as a quarterback. How did he handle not playing his freshman year? Just curious. Oh, he was, he was 
Henri. He wanted to play. <laughs> he felt he could play. And, um, and he wanted, he wanted to be able to at least go to the stadiums and, and, um, you know, see it all. And I remember, um, they were going to play Tennessee and Ryan was a red shirt and Peyton must have been playing already. I'm, I'm sure he was. And so Ryan was intent on being able to get on the plane and go with them. And red shirts didn't get to travel, of course. And so he played his heart out um, on the, um, what do you call that when you're the opposing opposing team against the one? You know, he played. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Scout team. Yeah, and so he played his heart out that week, um, wow. hoping that it, he played so good, well that coach would put him on the plane, which he didn't, of course. And he even got a little um, scout of the week or something like that for the Tennessee game, and so that was the most he got as a redshirt. <laughs> But, he, you know, he always had hope that something would change for him and he he would keep working at it and working at it um, until he oftentimes got his way. Well, he didn't get his way, but <laughs> he had a lot of motivation. You mentioned Peyton. I'm curious, you know, obviously those two, Peyton and, and Ryan, are um... – tied together in so many ways and they're both Heisman finalists. They went one and two in the draft in 98. I know they have a, a very good relationship now. When did their relationship sort of start? Like when did they become cognizant of each other? And was it, I'm assuming there was probably some rivalry when they first met. Oh my goodness. Yes. Now I, I don't know this. Well, you'd have to ask Ryan, but I, I think this happened. <clears throat> For whatever reason, Ryan decided that he and Peyton would be pitted against each other very early, very early on. It was in 97, though. I do know that. And um, whatever made him do this, he went into the athletic department, I guess, somewhere, and he called Tennessee. And he asked if he couldn't talk to Peyton. And of course, Peyton wasn't available or, well, of course not. But <laughs> a little later, he called back, Peyton did, and talked to Ryan. And Ryan said, wow. well, I sort of think we're going to be pitted against each other. And I just, I don't know what gave him the urge to do that, but I just wanted to say hi. That was it. Wow. Now, you can double check wow. with Ryan about that. <laughs> wow. But, I'm pretty sure he did that. And um, I love his moxie. I love that. I love his moxie. I love it. I love his confidence. I want him to be my quarterback. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of a mind game to be like, hey, I, you know, just saying hi <laughs> and calling it the athletic department. Like it's, you can't, you know, you can't send anybody a DM on Twitter back, back in 97 or, right. you know, an Instagram direct message. Wow. That's a great story. <laughs> and of course, I thought, well, you can't do that. You just can't be that. See, that's the difference between Ryan and I. So where does that come from? Do you, does, you think that comes from your husband then? Or just is that just him? Now, after hearing my story about my dad, what would you think? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, good that point. Problem. 
Very good question. Dancing on crutches with broken bones with all the nurses. Yeah, (laughs) I got it. (laughs) You told me the story when we were chatting the other day, Marcia, but your favorite memory at Martin Stadium was what? Let me think. Well, there were lots of them. I want to hear about the crowd surfing. I heard oh, a that rumor. was at that was in Husky Stadium. Oh. I just heard a rumor that you were crowd surfing, and I want every detail of that because I have not experienced that, and that's maybe now on my bucket list. So, how did <laughs> <laughs> what happened? I want every detail. Go. Oh, that was a memorable <laughs> time. I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, well, what I, I never ever. Um, said Ryan was my son. Never. I didn't need to. There, that I was. That was his deal, and I was just proud and quiet. But <laughs> things got the best of me on uh, that Apple Cup. And after we had won, and everybody was screaming and rushing the field, and roses were places, and <laughs> I turned around, and anybody that would listen to me, I said. I am Ryan's mother. And then I just fell back into the crowd. (laughs) It's embarrassing now. And they kind of held me up and pushed me down the way. I I had no fear. I was just so happy. (laughs) So, yeah, that would be my my tallest member. That is amazing. That makes me and so my happy. Did Ryan see it? Like, did Ryan know that that was going on? That you were crowd surfing? Like, no. did he? Oh, no. Did he catch that? Did he see? No. Is there video somewhere of them. that? Somewhere is there video? <laughs> I don't know what made me do that. I just oh, was I so. It. But that's the happy. beauty of it. It's just sheer joy, just exuberance. <laughs> I, I want to ask you, and this is an experience that you, you know, both had as moms. Marcia, did did Ryan believe that? he was going to win the Heisman in 97? No, 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 he didn't. But, you know, I think Ryan being there kind of split the votes. And um, I think the outcome was a little different, maybe. I don't know that. But um, Ryan got a few votes. And I remember, too, that when they started talking for the Heisman, um campaign that the girls in the athletic office sent leaves, dried leaves or green leaves. I don't know. I must have been green leaves in an envelope to all the voters. That's awesome. And I thought that was a very, yeah, it was a very sweet thing to do. Memorable um, and creative. Yes. Creative, very creative. So, um, no, he didn't. I know he didn't think he would um, win, but I remember after the Rose Bowl, um, Ryan told us, I'm going to declare tomorrow that I'm going to the draft. And um, I wasn't, I wasn't at all for that. He hadn't finished his degree. That was most important to me and he knew it. And, um, John had done all the research and listened to different coaches and all this stuff. Agent, he'd done them. And he said, yeah, this is probably the right time for him. So the next morning we went over to the hotel where he was staying and they were going to have a press thing. And 
there is my boy standing on the second level of the hotel and he was in a suit and he looked down and he said, dad, could you come help me tie my tie? And I just thought, he's just a young man and he's making this decision to enter into an extremely um, difficult business. And he wants his dad to talk, help him tie his tie. Mm. <laughs> that made me sad. Well, that puts it in perspective. That's for sure. <laughs> I remember right from the get-go, Ryan wa- wanted a ball in his hand. It, it was so obvious. He wanted um, to play the game, mostly football. But he was he was a good basketball player, very good basketball player. But I was working days, and um, it was right after Christmas, and I came home and Ryan had wanted a Steeler helmet for Christmas. And so he was four. And so um, we got him a heavy-duty helmet. And he loved it. He was so thrilled. But when I came home that day, the helmet was in the garbage. And I said, Ryan, why is your helmet in the garbage? He said, they lost today. No. Oh. <laughs> They lost today, so he was not going to be a fan anymore. Of course, he took the helmet out eventually, but that's how he was. He was just intense about everything. So, at four years old, too. Wow. Wow. (laughs) So, talk to me about the draft because I've heard Ryan um, talk about how special that experience was and that night of the draft and how he remembers it just being this family and community. And it was such a special, memorable moment for him. What, what was your draft experience like as, as Ryan Leaf's mom? Everybody in, in my family wanted to go to the draft. We wanted him to go to the draft. So there were probably about 30 of us that went and I had the best experience because Ryan's agent gave him a secretary to take care of all of the things at the draft. And so I said, well, I I think there's about 30 of us coming. And she said, okay, what do you want to do? And so we just saw New York. It was so beautiful. And we just had the best time. So was I nervous? No. I felt like our the quest was to get there, and he he got there. It didn't matter. I, I suppose it mattered to him, of course. It mattered to him where he went, but I didn't care. I just thought I would like him to go someplace where they would have um, some understanding of him. And when you say that, Marcia, what, what, what does that mean, some understanding of him? Like what... As you know, Ryan's mom, when you said that you hoped that he, someone would have an understanding of him, um, describe that. Well, I know that they didn't know that Ryan had not failed. I remember a reporter being at our house and he wanted to do a piece on Ryan. And when he was leaving, I leaned up against the door at the house and I said, is my son going to make it? And he said, if he makes it through the media, he'll be fine. 
And frankly, I do think the media was his downfall. He got, you know, he got um, beat up and he didn't know how to handle that. And um, he hadn't on the football field really failed that I, I remember. He, he seemed to, even when they lost games, he seemed to have good games. But after he was in Kansas City, it just all fell apart for him. And I don't think Ryan emotionally recovered from that. It, it, I think being a quarterback is so mental. Yes, it is. How much did you read, Marsha? How much did you read of the media stuff that was going on when he was in the NFL? Unfortunately, I read more than I should have. I really did. And um, that's when I should have started having the radio over my ears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you don't know at the time. But uh, thank God you don't have Twitter now or that you didn't have Twitter then, I should say, because um, it's brutal now. But I know as a mom, you can't help but read. Of course, you want to read and see what they're saying about your son. And and you want to protect him if it's bad and, you know, herald him if it's good. And it's it's a very fine line. And nobody prepares you for that. They don't. I mean, I don't even though he had so much success, um, it's inevitable you're not going to have success in football at some point. It's very cyclical. And it, nobody prepares you for the down. You just have to like live through it and get through it as best you can. And it's it's very, very difficult, especially as a quarterback where all eyes are on you. And like Ashley said, it's it's you you're blamed for a loss. You're you're put on a pedestal for a win to extremes. And it's a team game. It's a it's a hundred percent a team game. And you know, it was really hard because San Diego built him up so much. Like, there's a new sheriff in town mm -hmm. here, and right. blah, 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 blah. And that didn't, that didn't serve him well at all. And then, of course, Peyton, I feel, had been groomed for a while. You know, just his dad. And, right. um, they're, they're gracious, wonderful people. They are. I just think the world of them. But I just think Peyton had a handle on how to work with the media. And, um, yeah, Ryan, Ryan didn't. And he also, little people, few people know that he has a very sensitive heart. And although he has a shield all the way around him, um, it's a very sensitive heart and, and, um, I think it got to him and then he had some injuries, but that I'm not making any excuses one way or the other. I'm just saying, I think what that reporter said me that said to me that day about if he can make it through the media, he'll be okay. And I really believe Ryan would have been a very strong quarterback in the NFL had he had some, um, a safety net, something that would, um, prepare him better for the huge undertaking. What do you wish, looking back now, how could they have helped him, do you think? That's a very good question. I think they tried. I really think they tried um, in different um, ways, but I don't think he felt, I don't think he felt they were confident in him. And losing that that little fraction of the big picture 
if the owners and the coaches aren't confident in you, your confidence has to go. It just, and um, every time he would say something, he would have an edge to him. There's just no doubt about it. He was very defensive. It just broke my heart. It broke my heart because it was his, it was his dream. And um, it just kept getting worse. Looking back, do you wish maybe he failed along the way more to prepare him for this? Like in whether it be in games, basketball, I don't know, but failed along the way more. So he le- he would learn in a smaller level how to pick himself back up on a big scale than later. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. We've even talked about if he had stayed at Washington State for another year, would that have been, um, a, you know, something? Because all of the players were, a lot of them were leaving. And it, he would have probably had more adversity there in the the following season. I'm not sure of that, but we have talked about maybe if he had um, stayed another year, it might have worked out um, a little differently. And, um, well, frankly, very, it's hard. When you go one and two, I don't care if you're three or four, it's hard to perform at that level um, right away. Right away. and mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you're, you're also going to a team that's not a good team. And you're the leader and they're expecting you to turn it around. It's, it's, the expectations are, are, are absurd, to be honest. They are. And it takes, it takes somebody with blinders on. I don't know how a person could. I could never do it. I'm too sensitive. I'm like Ryan. That's the difference. Ryan can feel. He's a sensitive person. So that's, that's a very, very, very hard situation to be in for anyone. And my heart bleeds for those guys big time as a quarterback. So it's hard. It's, it's very hard, very hard. So I, I felt terrible for Ryan and we would have done anything to help him through that, but he, um, he did it. He, you know, it just got to be too much. So when he decided to retire, right. So he was, he spent four years essentially in the league and decided to retire. I think he must've been 26. What do you remember about when he finally just said, I'm, I'm done. I can't, um, this was a dream I had and I'm, I'm done. What do you, did you feel relieved? What did you, what did you feel? Well, he had gone to Seattle and I thought, um, coach Holcomb would be very good for him. I just did. Um, but Ryan's heart was not in it. And, he, he, I think he, I don't even remember. He either called, he called his dad, of course, and said, um, you know, I'm done. I'm done. And um, that was a real um, sad time for us both, for all three of us, the entire family. The boys didn't, but they didn't want him to keep going through what he was going through. And, um, you know, mom and dad, they just, their hearts were, so very sad for him. And he wasn't, he hadn't thought beyond football. What could I do afterwards? And I think a lot of players feel like that, don't you? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you're living on your own now. You're on your own schedule. I mean, think about the NFL. You're on a schedule from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed. You're on their time during the season and the off season. You're as kind of a slave to them as well. You know, you're training for the the next camp and you're you're always thinking about it. And then all of a sudden that ends and you're like, oh, what do I do? It's it's a very difficult time for every single player. And you lost your identity. You know, that's what you were hanging your hat on. And, you know, you got your worth from. And then all of a sudden you have to become a completely different person or a different man after that. And it's it's very hard because you see it all the time. You see players, you know, they blow their money. They don't know how to handle it. They have issues. And it's it's a difficult time. Yeah. So Ryan decided to go back to school, which pleased me. And um, he, he went back and finished his uh, degree in, um, I think, psychology and communications. And I was so proud of that diploma. I framed it for him and everything. I, that was the important thing, that he accomplished that. And um, I think he started taking pills shortly after he left the NFL. I'm not sure, but um, I think there was depression and pain in his being. And he had had several surgeries, and I know he had to have remembered how the medicine makes you kind of... um, Numbs you. Numbs you. Yes, and elevates your mood. You don't have to... yeah, exactly. And you don't have to think about the what happened in the, the bad times. And it, it numbs you. It numbs you. Way. That's so, a perfect yeah. word. When did you realize, Marsha, that he ha- had an, a legitimate problem? Well, that's a fair question. That is a very fair question. Um, John and I both were in denial. He was um, living in our home. Um, after, well, let me, let me, it was when I'm trying to think, but he was, he had gone to Texas to coach and he was using down there. And, um, I didn't, of course we didn't know it. And, um, after he had abused drugs down there and, um, they put him on probation and we where was he to go so it was to bring him home and so I went down there and went to um, court with him and they allowed him to come back to Montana under supervision and um, you know try and get a job and this is hard anyway um John, down in Texas, John flew down there once he was charged. And John flew down there and Jeffrey showed up. And Ryan said, "Um, I want to go to treatment. And I want to go someplace where there are um, pine trees. I said, that is his only request he wants, yes. And he really preferred to go someplace where maybe people wouldn't know him. So we found this place in Canada and he went there and he just 
thrived and he he really did well and he was working for some fishing where he would gather people and take them out on fishing expeditions and stuff but that meant he had to um, try and sell it and he didn't like being used his name used to maybe get clients and that sort of thing and so even though he was thriving in after that um, recovery he wanted to come home well coming home and coming across state lines there was something wrong about that that Texas wanted him they wanted him to come down there and go through all of the things so he was doing okay and he um went down there and I went down there with him and they gave him permission to come to Great Falls. And then he um, got a job here and went to work on a farm. He wanted to do very hard labor and just lay low. But coming to his hometown was a very poor, poor idea. And even coming to Montana because um, Ryan was not the hometown athlete Montana wanted. He was um, brash and um, it made it very difficult for him. And so he was working out on a farm and believe it or not, he tore his ACL. What? (laughs) And he was working with a tractor or something. He tore his ACL and he had to come, he came home and of course, off to the doctor we go, and um, they wanted him to rehab it first, and then they'd do surgery. And Ryan started taking pills right away again. I know he did. But I I know now. I didn't know then. I, I was the one that was handing out the pills. But, um, yeah, that, you know, once you've got that trigger in your mind, then um, so... He abused all through his rehab, I think. And then we sent him to another um, rehab in our state. And, of course, that wasn't fair because everybody knew who he was. And how can you pour your heart out and recover healthy? And so that one wasn't so very such a very good plan. And then he came home once he was done with that. And uh, I think Ryan just, he felt lost. What do I do? Who am I? Where do I go? Nothing is positive about anything I do. And, uh, and frankly, John and I were probably in denial. I, I'm sorry to admit that, but yeah, we probably were. So that was a very difficult time. I will tell you, I never thought I'd say this because um, it killed me. But really, the best thing that happened to Ryan was going to prison. And he was there for 36 months. And you know, when you're raising your boy, you never think that they will be exposed to that because that isn't how he was raised. 
he was loved, cared for. And then we had no say about anything. And when we could see him and when we couldn't. And going to a prison and, you know, having every, your ID checked, your shoes off, your going, it really was. But if it was difficult for us, think how it was for Ryan. He, we went every week. We went every week, whether he wanted us there or not. And um, he didn't grow very, very fast. He was uh, very uh, defiant. He didn't want to be there. He, he hated himself. And uh, I would call it prison hangover. We'd go on Sundays and we wouldn't feel halfway normal until Wednesday. And then start, you know, I can't even explain it. You feel like maybe there was a little hope. Monday and Tuesday, there was no hope. Wednesday, you started feeling like, well, maybe. And then we would go on Sunday again. And it would happen all over again. And um, that was a difficult time. And Ryan would see no one. He would see no one, no visitors, except his mom and dad. And when his mom and dad came, he just just told us how much he hated himself and what he did, you know. So we just, we walked through it together. But... I will say that he grew so much in the end and he came out a different man, someone who I knew was in there. I knew it and he came out a different man, but he wasn't, he wasn't healthy when he came out. He, um, and so um, we had to, we had to get that all done. When did you see the change, Marcia, in him? When you when you were visiting him and you felt hopeless, was there a time towards the end? Um, and he shared the story about, you know, he kind of found a lot of purpose and he started teaching some of the inmates how to read. I mean, there's there's a, a sort of a beautiful story of like someone hitting rock bottom and then finding themselves in a way. Did, did you notice that? Did you see something change within him towards the end? Mostly when we would talk, he would have no hope for getting out. He thought it, I, he had no hope. And um, towards the end, I saw that he was, frankly, being very helpful in the AA groups when he'd go in and talk, he'd kind of lead them. And there was one um, guard or officer or something that um, kind of relied on Ryan to take that leadership role. And 
that made a difference that somebody somewhere saw him as possibly a leader again. And um, I saw that. I did see that. And then the day he got out of prison, it was a totally different Brian. I can't tell you. It, it, it what he had he was full of gratitude from the get-go just <laughs> having a bed having warmth because it wasn't warm there um, <laughs> um, just having the freedom to walk around and feel safe in an environment you know um, frankly, it was, it was so rewarding to see him so grateful. And we just started working right away on trying to get him um, into treatment away from Montana. And um, I am not, the NFL has been wonderful. They, they did give money for Ryan to go to treatment. That was amazing to me. And they were so good. Now, what did we have to do to get permission to leave the state? They wouldn't let him. Montana wouldn't let him. And if they did, then he'd have to go to Texas or something. And uh, it was just convoluted. And all John and I could think about was getting him into treatment. That's all we could think about. And um, he got a, a parole officer that saved his life. And I will say this over and over and over again. He saved his life. And I wrote that man, I wrote that man two or three uh, notes. And I even sent him a picture of, of Ryan's son. And I told him, each time you saved my son's life, because... He gave him permission, which I guess was not necessarily in the boundaries, but he gave him permission. He said, Ryan, if I let you go to treatment, I can call every day and talk to your, your uh, therapist. I can talk to you. I can do whatever I want. And then you have to come home every three months and meet with me. And so... He gave him permission to go to California and go into a program for three months, 90 days. And um, the program saved his life. Um, he got into an AA group that was very inclusive, um, that he felt safe with. Nobody really knew him. And so, um, yeah. That was the best thing that happened. And from that, from that, he grew into staying in a sober house for another almost three months. And he led groups in that sober house daily. And he drove people around to appointments and everything. And he figured out it, it wasn't about him. Life wasn't about him. It was being of service to others. And, you know, when he played, 
It was all about him. At least, it was all about him. He felt that way. And he learned it wasn't. And that throwing a football really wasn't what his life was meant to, to be, even though that's all he wanted. That's an amazing story. It's like, it's so amazing. I want to tell you too, I'm my youngest son. He goes to Rice University. He's a, he was a quarterback and he just switched to receiver. Thank God. Cause he's got the mentality as a receiver. And, but anyway, he brought home two great, two really cute friends here. And one of the kids used to be at university of Washington. And last night we all went out to dinner and I mentioned that, um, Oh, I'm going to interview Ryan Leaf's mom. I told him about our podcast and we're interviewing and they were the one kid, his name's Tim, stood up and said, oh, I heard him speak. He came to University of Washington because he had just transferred to Rice um, a couple years ago. And he goes, it was an incredible speech. I'll never forget it. And he gave me every detail of it. And he just said he, it was one of those speeches you'll never forget. And it was so moving and it was so beautiful. And he was so honest and so raw and um, it just, everyone was just hanging on every, every single word. And, you know, I mean, I think what he's doing now, you, you know, even if people aren't, you know, um, like hit their bottom yet, they can always go back to his story and reflect on it. And he's, and I just love what he's doing now. And he's doing more now than he ever would throwing a football. That's all I can say. So it's making a difference. And my God, you're an amazing mom. I'm like in awe of you. Um, I think this is incredible. You're, you've done a great job. I know it may not seem like it, but sometimes you need to take these journeys like this in order to get something better out of it. And it just seems like what he's doing now is way more powerful than he ever would have done throwing a football, to be honest. So thanks to him and you. Yeah, I think, absolutely. I believe this was his journey. I, I do believe that. It was just, uh, you know, and he's been given chances. I'm not saying that he hasn't had, you know, but he, he's been down He's been down, he's been down, but he always got up. And I don't know where he got that strength. I really don't because it was hard. But I admire him so much for what he's doing right now over um, over his football. But I got to say, it was fun. It was fun yeah. doing the football. All right. Well, we have kept you way past the time that I told you we would, but I've just got maybe two more Two last questions for you, if you're if you're up for that, Marcia. Sure. So we close these interviews, you know, with the same couple of questions, and I, I guess, first and foremost, what do you know now that you wish you had known when you started out as a mom, when when that baby Ryan came screaming into your life? What do you, what would you go back and tell yourself if you had a chance to now? Um. Oh, I know exactly what I would change, what I learned. And that would be, don't overreact. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It just, it matters how we get through it. You know, how we get through it matters. But everything isn't a big deal. And my kids will, all of them will say, mom, you always overreacted, which I did. I know that. I um, I had expectations, and I oftentimes did not give them enough space to know how to navigate problems and how to correct things. And I just overreacted. 
I could overreact over one of the boys getting a pierced ear without my permission. You know what that's like? You just, you, why would you do yep. that? You know? right. And that was foolish stuff. So I learned, I learned, and I would change that. What would you say? I probably would have, yeah, relaxed a lot more, especially with the first one completely. Um, I would have probably been less mad at Ed at times. I was always mad at him because he was working and I was so tired. And I remember being just him coming home and I would just be angry. I wished I wasn't angry like that sometimes. Um, but I was tired. I'll say that. That's my defense excuse. But I wished I just kind of like wrote. I, I just wish I went with the flow a little bit better. Well, I'll tell you what my I'll tell you something that my dad has always said to me. Um, and I didn't really understand it until I had kids in mine, you know, are, are still very young. They're five and three. But he always said, and, and I'm one of four, he said, you can never take too much credit or too much blame for how your kids turn out. Because each of you, you were who you were when you came into the world. And that's, I, Marcia, as you were explaining Ryan and, and who he was when he came out, the, the blueprint is there. Now you can help them. And there's, I'm sure there's like a 10 to 15% maybe that, that you can, you know, the, I'm not going to say that if, you know, there's, there's no point in, in figuring out how to be a mom and going through all of this. But I, I just think that if I can really peel back and sometimes when I start to get myself spun up about different things or decisions or worrying about, is this going to be a thing? And what I just think this person is who they are. And my job is to help them navigate the, you know, the world and the space that they're going to be, but I'm not going to be able to fundamentally change anything about who they truly are. It's about helping them manage that. But that's, that's one thing my dad always said, you can't take too much credit or too much blame for how your kids turn out because you, you played a role, your genes are the biggest thing that, you know, that that's the biggest role. Yeah. So that goes back to nature and nurture. I always wonder how much of it's nature, how much of it's nurture. Um, I, and I still juries out. I have no idea, but I mean, pulling on my four, each of them came out with their own personalities completely. And each of them are very different. I could say, you know, Dylan's a lot more like Ed. Christian's probably a lot more like me personality wise. Um, and that's just kind of how they came out. And there was nothing we could have done that would have changed that. But like decisions, I wonder if they ever, how much of our up our raising them affects their decisions now. I don't know. That's, that's the question of the hour. You know, like, like you said, I like your dad's philosophy. Don't take too much blame or credit for either. <laughs> so, which is probably true. Very true. Yeah. It's like the quarterback thing. <laughs> it all applies. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. For, for, okay. So then I guess, and I, I do, uh, I did get the cheat code on this, but what would your boys say is the best part about having you as their mom? <laughs> well, hmm. I think in my how I feel about it is I think Brady would be um, grateful that we gave him independence that I wasn't hungering. Mm. Uh, what do they call it now? Helicopter moms oh, or helicopter something. Moms. I wasn't. Yeah. 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 But um, I, yeah, I think Brady would think it would be, it was great that we gave him um, freedom and um, independence um, Jeffrey, well, I know, um, he respects me and is happy that, um, I care. 
deeply. And uh, Ryan, you said you had that? I do. I do. I asked him. I texted him and asked him. You want to take a guess what he said? Um, I don't know that I stood shoulder to shoulder with him. That's what I'd say. Through it all. He said, the best part of my mom is her toughness. Uh, how on earth do you think I learned how to keep getting back up and never quitting? And I believe that one of the gifts truly that you can give your kids, and Lisa and I have talked about this, is you can we can tell them all we want about how we hope that they are. But at the end of the day, they they emulate what they see and they they take things from what they were able to to witness. And so and sometimes I think we overthink parenting and just go be the person that you hope your kid's going to be. Go be tough. Go be independent. Go be loving, kind, gracious, all of those things. And hopefully along the way somewhere they're, they're picking up on all of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, your toughness. And that's, that's why the rhetorical question you asked earlier about where he got it from, <laughs> he got it from his mama. Oh, that is, that is a very, that's very heartwarming to me. Very. And I will say that um, I see Ryan's nurturing. He is a very nurturing father. I just, I love to see that interaction. And, yeah. you know, it, it's just so gratifying to see what, through it all, the biggest gift was not the NFL, the draft, the Heisman. The biggest gift was his son. Oh, that has to make you so proud, watching him interact with him. That's amazing. Congrats. So, ladies, thank you, and I appreciate this. And I appreciate the fact that um, I could tell the story about Ryan and his amazing tenacity. I am so grateful. So that's how my life is now. We are grateful for health and we're grateful for happiness. Good. That's a good yeah. place to be. That's a great place to be. You deserve it. <laughs> that's the most important place to be. You do deserve it and you deserve all the happiness. And I hope that this is a, a chapter of your life that you're able to enjoy um, because I know that as you've shared with us, you've been through a lot and it means the world to to Lisa and me that you'd share that with us. And thank you. We don't take it lightly. And I, I know that it's painful to go back and relive some of those memories. I can't imagine. Um, but I just want to say thank you, truly, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. That. Thank you. And, and the very last thing I will say is if anyone who is listening has a picture of Marsha Leaf crowd surfing at oh. Husky Stadium, <laughs> please send it, it quick. Send it. Oh, my God. <laughs> because... The world needs to see that. This is when I hate that we're virtual because I wish I could just give you a big old hug. Um, but truly, thank you for sharing your story. Well, what an absolute gift to connect with Marsha Leaf. And, you know, what's crazy is we that was a much cut down version of the interview. We talked to her for over two hours. And then over the following couple of weeks, she would email us like five or six more incredible stories that she had forgotten to mention. So it was just so fun revisiting Um you know, revisiting some of those moments with her. And I think we're going to have to have her back on as a recurring guest is the only answer to all of this. I, there's a ton to unpack, Lisa, but w what, what stood out the most to you? Oh my gosh. Um, I would just say 
her unconditional love for Ryan and all of her kids. Just, I mean, it was the, you know, went from her crowd surfing at one of his victories, one of his games, to her visiting him in prison every week. And, you know, she was there the whole time, loved her son no matter what. And, you know, I think a lot of that probably helped him uh, come out of that, helped him redeem himself, helped him, you know, shine his light now. And I know a lot of people associate him with bust, but I think redemption is the word I would use um, for his life now. And it's pretty amazing to see. It's a great lesson for everyone. And I attribute a lot of it to his mom and his family and their unconditional love for him. Absolutely. Because when they, they lived every moment of that pain with him and felt it, you know, from a, from a mother and a father and a brother's perspective, um, it's just as real. And it's just, it's, it's with you in every moment. So I, you know, she said something to me when we were on the phone when the first time I introduced myself to her and, and I wrote it down. She said, every mother who has a child that is famous, it is in her heart the rest of her life. And she carries that with her. And I think for her to be able to go back and revisit some of those amazing memories, you know, crowd surfing and, you know, the Rose Bowl and all of those incredible moments that were such highs and happy, joyful moments. And then also being able to revisit some of the painful ones. um, I think it's important and we don't make enough space for that and for those conversations. And when we, when we asked her about what she thinks her kids would say about the best thing about having her as a mom, seeing her reaction when I told her what Ryan said about her toughness, yeah. and that was kind of where he got it from, you know, that was just a moment that I'm not going to forget. And I think that we just need to make sure that we're telling the people in our lives more often uh, what they mean to us because we don't, we don't make space for it. Right. I agree. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. We'll see you later or we'll see your mom later. And like Lisa said, call your mom. Just hang up right now and go call your mom.